0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, your host, and the clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. For today's episode, we welcome Charanjit Singh from our product management team at Mayo Clinic Laboratories for a test-specific podcast. Thanks for the introduction, Dr. Pritt. Today, we'll be discussing two of our primary biliary cholangitis tests we recently added to our menus, PBC2, which is our serum SP100 and GP210 antibody test, and our PBCPN test, which is our comprehensive primary biliary cholangitis antibody panel with Dr. Anne Thibault, Before I begin, I'll like to give a brief introduction of these two panel tests. Our PBC 2 test helps in evaluating the risk of primary biliary cholangitis anti antimicrochondrial antibody negative patients by the identification of SP-100 and DP-210 antibodies. And our PBC pn test helps in evaluation of at-risk or previously diagnosed primary biliary cholangitis patients with new features of other liver diseases or systemic autoimmune diseases. But before we get started, Dr. Thibault, could you please provide the audience a little bit of information about your background?
1: Sure, and thank you for the invitation to discuss autoantibody testing in primary biliary cholangitis and related diseases. My name is Anne Thibault, and I am a Senior Associate Consultant and Co-Director of the Antibody Immunology Lab in the Mayo Clinic Laboratories. I also hold a professorship in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology in Mayo Clinic. I'm a board-certified medical laboratory immunologist with special interest in autoimmune diagnostics, including harmonization and standardization of immunoassays used in the evaluation and management of these patients.
0: Thank you, Dr. Tebow. This really helps showcase your expertise in the area and leads to my first question. Please give a brief overview of the new tests and panels.
1: Of course, Jared. Prior to discussing the test, For the detection and semi quantification of anti SP100 and anti GP210 antibodies and the two newly implemented autoantibody panels for primary biliary cholangitis evaluation, I would like to briefly describe some key features of the disease known as primary biliary cholangitis, or PBC for short. PBC is a progressive and chronic autoimmune liver disease that is characterized by the destruction of the ducts, with a variable clinical cause, which may include fatigue and puritis, which is scratching of the skin or itching of the skin. In untreated patients with KBC, this, they have a very high risk of liver cirrhosis and related complications, such as liver failure and death. The serological hallmark of PBC is the presence of antimitochondrial antibodies, which is characterized by a cytoplasmic reticular staining pattern on HEP2 substrates by indirect immunofluorescent antibody test. In addition, antibodies associated with specific nuclear HEP2 patterns have been reported in a subset of patients with primary biliary cholangitis who may be negative for antimitochondrial antibody or may be positive for AMA, but having uncertain clinical or phenotypical attributes, which will require confirmation by um, additional primary biliary cholangiitis specific tests, such as the new test that we've implemented. The HEP2-IFN nuclear patterns associated with primary biliary cholangiitis are the multiple nuclear dots, which is detected in about twenty percent of patients, and the punctate nuclear envelope, which is found in about twenty percent of patients with PBC. In primary biliary cholangitis, the multiple nuclear dots is associated with the anti-SP one hundred antibody, while the punctate nuclear envelope correlates with the presence of the anti-GP two ten. The rationale for the implementation of these two new tests in the laboratory. The SP100 IgG and the anti-GP210 are both semi-quantitative ELISA methods. The anti-SP IgG ELISA is based on a purified peptide corresponding to a portion of the SP100 protein that is bound to a polystyrene plate. Like the GP1, like the SP1 antibody assay, the anti-GP2 ELISA is also designed with a purified peptide that corresponds to a part of the GP210 protein. Each test is offered as a standalone, as well as in the two panels that you nicely described. The PBC2 panel has the two new PBC tests, while the PBCPN or the comprehensive panel it's made up of the anti-mitochondrial antibody, the anti-GP210, the anti-SP100, and the hep 2 ifa which detects antinuclear antibodies.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Thibault. The next question relates to patients. Which patients should have this testing, and when should it be performed?
1: So in addition to the laboratory evaluation of anti-mitochondrial antibodies, Testing for SP100 and GP2 antibodies is recommended in all patients at risk or with suspicion for primary biliary cholangitis. This is really an appropriate standard of care approach to testing. Patients with PBC may also present with typical features of disease, family history of certain autoimmune diseases, specific laboratory features such as abnormal liver enzymes, Clinically, PBC patients may present with fatigue and abdominal pain, which are non-specific, but may also demonstrate chronic itching, as I've previously mentioned, and sicker symptoms, which is such as dry eyes, and dry mouth, or evidence of cholestatic liver disease or jaundice without evidence of other causes. In these patients, it is important to rule out other causes of liver diseases, such as infections. Drug use or alcohol abuse. Historically, the presence of antimitochondrial antibodies was considered specific for primary biliary cholangitis. However, there exists a subset of patients with PBC who may be negative for antimitochondrial antibodies as previously mentioned. And in addition, as we know much about this disease, there is evidence that the mitochondrial antibodies can occur in the absence of clinical features of disease, and AMA-specific immunoassays have been reported to have variable clinical performance characteristics. That is, false negative and false positive results are not uncommon. Based on these observations, testing for both GP210 and SP100 antibodies would be indicated either at initial evaluation of patients or in a second-tier approach. With respect to the initial evaluation, this can be accomplished by ordering the anti-mitochondrial antibodies or the primary biliary cholangitis comprehensive panel, which includes a combination of the anti-mitochondrial antibody, the anti-GP2, anti-SP100 by ELISA, and the anti-nuclear antibody using the HEP2 substrate by indirect immunofluorescence. Compared to the AMA standalone test, the PBC comprehensive panel provides an optimal approach as it has the potential to support the diagnosis of AMA positive and AMA negative PBC patients, as well as the possibility to identify patients who may present with coexisting systemic autoimmune diseases such as Sjogren syndrome. SLE, and systemic sclerosis. It is important to indicate that the expression of the multiple nuclear dots and the nuclear envelope patterns may not be easily identified in the presence of photoantibodies when using the hep 2 IFA method. In a recently completed study in the Mayo Clinic Laboratories that we led, we observed that the AMA and SP100 antibody Had modest correlations with their corresponding HER2 IFO patterns, and the concordance between the anti GP2 antibodies and the punctuate nuclear envelope pattern was low. In addition to some of these studies that we've done, in the literature, there seems to be an added benefit for testing for GP210 autoantibodies in patients who've been diagnosed with primary biliary cholangitis, as these antibodies may further help in risk stratification of patients with more severe disease. While the studies in this area, um, it's very limited, opening up testing for this particular autoantibody may lead to additional observations or validation of some of these observations in primary biliary cholangitis.
0: Thank you, Dr. Teba, I appreciate that information. So the next uh, question I have is, what alternative test options are available And how do those compare to our testing at Mayo Clinic Laboratories?
1: I think that's a very important question. But one of the things that I want to really highlight in this uh, presentation, rather than talking about alternative tests, which are not really ready for prime time is to emphasize that the diagnosis of primary biliary cholangitis should be considered in the differential diagnosis of autoimmune liver diseases or when we have a liver disease of unknown etiology so where we don't really know what's happening and then in the absence of defined etiological factors it is also recognized that the disease spectrum is quite broad and the disease boundaries may be blurred with overlapping features that may be present at the time of diagnosis or may appear later in the course of diseases. And I'm sure you made reference to that when you talked about the previous comprehensive panel. But because we have the ANA in that comprehensive panel, it is important that for patients who may be suspected of having a disease such as autoimmune hepatitis, we may be looking at additional biomarkers for diagnosing autoimmune hepatitis, which is common, which may overlap with primary biliary cholangitis. So in this regard, addition of the smooth muscle antibody testing would be indicated. In the absence of defined autoantibodies for type 1 autoimmune hepatitis, the use of the mouse, stomach, kidney substrate compared to analyte-specific solid-phase assays offers a rational approach for autoimmune um, hepatitis diagnosis, which can affect both adults and children. The autoantigens targeted by the smooth muscle antibodies in patients with autoimmune hepatitis include the filamentous aptin, the vermectin, and the dismin autoantibodies. Of these autoantibody targets, the anti-F-actin antibodies also offered for disease evaluation in the Mayo Clinic laboratories. Given that there are other antigenic targets associated with positivities for smooth muscle antibodies, the agreement between the results for the smooth muscle antibody and F-actin antibody is not absolute. Testing for F-actin IgG antibody may be useful when the smooth muscle by IFA is negative or of a low positive titer that is less than 1 to 80. And so in combination with the testing of ANA that is also available as a standalone test, additional testing for perinuclear antibodies, anchor antibodies may also be indicated as well as sub-soluble liver antigens, which may be of diagnostic relevance in adults. For the evaluation of autoimmune hepatitis type 2, which begins in childhood and adolescence, Testing for anti liver kidney microsomal type 1, anti liver microsomal type 3, anti soluble liver antigen, and all anti liver cytosol type 1 autoantibodies may also be clinically relevant.
0: Great. Now for our last question, Dr. Thibault, relating back to uh, patient care, how are the results used in patient care?
1: That is very interesting i'm going to provide my my perspective as a laboratorian but i think the benefits for this test really are important not just for diagnosis purposes but also for identifying patients who may be at long-term risk for developing disease and we should note that these autoantibodies may or should always be interpreted in the appropriate clinical context to establish diagnosis. And the presence of these antibodies alone are not sufficient to make clinical decisions. However, that said, the presence of multiple autoantibodies really confer a very high risk for disease. Incidental detection of these autoantibodies in asymptomatic individuals may suggest risk of future disease development which would require close monitoring for disease onset. Until recently, the use of the oxycholic acid, UCDA, was the only approved therapy widely used to improve clinical outcomes in patients with PBC. The goal of therapy includes normalization of the liver enzymes and total bilirubin to normal levels less than 0.6 times the upper limit of normal. Unfortunately, a subset of patients have an inadequate response to UCDA and remain at risk for development of cirrhosis and its complication. And thus, they need to be evaluated for second-line therapy. It's been reported that second-line therapy needs to be added to UDCA, as UDCA has proven to be effective in prolonging liver transplant-free survival also in patients without biochemical improvement. So for these reasons, use DCA needs to be continued in all patients. The second-line treatments include optocholic acid and Giza fibrates. A combination of all three drugs may be used in patients with incomplete response to dual therapy. In patients with overlap disease, this would require treatments targeting all comorbidities for optimal outcome. These are some of ways in which these patients can be you know, treated or monitored over time.
0: Right, and that concludes all our questions, Dr. Thiebel. I want to say thank you again for your time and really helping the audience uh, showcase not only your expertise, but the great work that your lab is doing. And we're really excited that we now offer uh, these panels of testing for patients in the area of primary biliary cholangitis